joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blissful Living. Queen of Feeling Fabulous, Rochelle Marie Lawson, and I want to welcome you to a great day, a great place to be, and I hope you are having a phenomenally fabulous day. Um, Today, our show is going to be intriguing, enlightening, and kind of get you in gear for um, what you have set forth in your year. I want to, first of all, before we begin the, sh- begin the show, I want to thank our sponsors, the Health Healing Company. Um, you can check them out at healthhealingwellness.com. Also, I want to thank um, the other sponsor, All Day Cable Incorporated. They are a telecommunications installation company that's been in, um, around for over 26 years. And what they do is they install and set up and design the backbone of how we telecommunicate, which is your network distribution. And uh, all the wires and cabling behind that jack that you may plug in your phone or your computer to in the wall, they install all of that plus all the stuff behind it. So they install the backbones of how we telecommute today. Um, and their motto is that they make the right connections. And we want them to make the right connections for you. So if you have a telecom installation need, whether it's voice data, fiber optic cabling, if you need some wireless access points installed, um, you know, you have some passenger or electronic display systems that need installation or anything in that arena, you need a network distribution room set up, or you want to revamp and reinstall fiber optic cabling and have your network and telecom speed be up to par like they should be, then you want to connect with All Day Cable Inc. And that is um, alldaycableinc.com. All righty, so let me get going with the show today. And the show today is a great show. It's a great way to start things off. Um, the title we're going to call this show is Falling for the Stars. And the guest today um is named Lisa Loving, I love that, Dalton, and she is going to share with us some wisdom um, about her years spent this. Check this out. Let me tell you about Lisa. So Lisa Loving Dalton spent years working with or stunt doubling for a galaxy of celebrity stars, including, check this out, Madonna, Meryl Streep, Robert Redford, Katherine Hepburn, Sean Connery, Dustin Hoffman, Daryl Hannah, Michelle Pfeiffer, Robin Williams, Liam Neeson, Cher, and more. And I always want to say Liam Nelson instead of Liam Neeson. Anyways, yet what stands out, um, about Lisa is she has this phenomenal book that she's written called Falling for the Stars, a stunt girl's tale, or a stunt girl's tattletales. And so let me let me just go a little bit deep deeper into this. So, um, despite the extra extraordinary price she paid for her stellar career as a stunt girl. Um, you know, she's had a miscarriage, she's had back injuries, um, and, and that's very hard work. Each juicy story that Lisa relays in her book um, brings home an important lesson in life for the reader and one that, you know, sometimes we have to go to the school of hard knocks to learn our lessons. Now, what Lisa did, she began as a native insecure actress trying to use extra work and stunt as a way into the motion picture. Um, Lisa rose to become one of the top stunt professionals on the East Coast, ultimately reaping the economic rewards and, of course, 
a nice stroking of the ego gratification. Now, while denying her own true desire to act full-time, so basically she took on stunt and extra work to make ends meet um, and, you know, kind of put her dream as being an actress um, on the back burner because this stunt stuff was just working for her. Now, Lisa has appeared in more than 200 films, television shows, and commercials in New York, Hollywood, and Texas, including work in Ghostbusters, Money Pit, oh, I've seen these, Crocodile Dundee, Married to the Mob, FX, Legal Eagles, and Splash on the Big Screen, and ER, HBO's Carnival, Dr. Quinn, and Melrose Place, among many others. And so I don't want to go and reveal the story behind our um, guest today, other than what I've shared already, but I just want to take this time to introduce you all to Lisa Loving Dalton. And Lisa, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much for being a guest on today's show. Well, I am so excited to be here, Rochelle, just really excited. <laughs> well, we're very interested in you and I'm blissful living. We, you know, generally focus on um, ways that we can reduce or eliminate stress from all aspects of our lives and we're always looking for extraordinary people to share their words of wisdom. And when I came across your information, I thought, wow, this would be really cool. You know, how many people get to actually share um, their experience, um, you know, working be with some of these top named celebrities, as well as, you know, some of the behind the scenes stuff. So we see the stunts take place. I'm thinking of Mission Impossible with, um, Tom Cruise and all the stuff that goes on, or, oh, my favorite, Jason Bourne and the, you know, the whole Bourne trilogy, all the stunts and stuff that go on, but we don't take into effect because we don't see you guys, that people that actually do the stunts. And so it's like, oh, this would be so cool to have her on the show and for her to share her words about, you know, what she does and, you know, and just just what she's learned and how what she's learned can help the listeners. So um, with that, I would like to start and ask you, particularly, mm-hmm. oh, you listeners out there, you might want to grab a piece of paper and something right with because Lisa might just drop some nuggets of gold on you that you might not have been expecting, particularly because of the about, but uh, this is a great time to do that. Pull up a chair, get comfortable, relax, and be ready to enjoy the words of wisdom that Lisa Loving Dalton is going to share with us. So now, Lisa, how in the world did you end up in the stunt business? Because, you know, like you said, you wanted to be an actress. And mo- I know when I was little, I wanted to be an actress, too. I wanted to be like um, um, Diana Ross when I saw her playing The Wiz. I thought I could do that. But in reality, I was so super shy. And I mean, I could act my behind off in front of the mirror at home in front of my parents. But when it came out to being doing something like that in the public, there's no way. And let alone going behind the scenes and doing stunts and falling and hurting myself like you guys do. How does that happen for you? <laughs> well, let me just jump in to say that um What you experienced in your shyness has pathways to be overcome. So if you ever do want to get onto the stage or in front of the camera, we can definitely work on that because the actual topic that you love to talk about, about reducing stress, you're talking about um, performance level stress, which is really one of the most common fears, one of the greatest fears that humanity has, supposedly, you know, public speaking is a greater fear than death. So uh, as the show goes, after I answer your question about this at some point, we'll definitely go into how, from a stunt gal's point of view, we can manage our stress and do things that we didn't think we could. So, yeah. So I'm going to start with just letting you know that I grew up really, I was terribly clumsy and uh, I was so severely clumsy. I was terribly bullied and harassed for it. And um, I fell down, uh, fell down a lot and had to learn how to survive that. And I was also uh, competitive. I had twin brothers 13 months older than I was, and I was kind of on this jag as a little girl um, to overcome anything that was considered to be a girl limitation, like no girls in the tree fort. Fine. I climbed the tree and went above the tree fort, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and I, I remember I was very bratty because of that, <laughs> and naughty, and um, I. Um, I remember in kindergarten climbing to the top of the jungle gym because there was a boy up there and waiting until I had an audience to, you know, throw him off the top. (laughs) So my kindergarten teacher tried to flunk me from kindergarten, um, and ultimately I did get suspended from first grade for such bad behavior. (laughs) Uh, But I... uh, you know, in an effort to be less clumsy and uh, and get some of my um, need to express myself, uh, my mom put me in dance lessons, and later on I did a lot of athletics. I was always the worst on the team, but after, you know, pursuing it doggedly, I would win most valuable player trophies. And when I got into college, I fell in love with things like stage combat and mime and the circus arts and gymnastics and acrobatics and avant-garde theater. So I, in New York, became an avant-garde theater artist at the La Mama Theater in a company called Bond Street, bondstreet.org. And by the way, this company today, 40 years later, is doing amazing things in Haiti, in Afghanistan, in East Timor. They've traveled all over the world bringing this form of uh, circus art-based theater that surpasses languages and teaching, for example, people in Haiti to respect uh, you know, respect the privacy and bodies of the women in the refugee camps and uh, helping create a female theater troupe in Afghanistan mm-hmm. and all sorts of amazing things. Mm-hmm. So, but I eventually sort of got more materialistic and said, I need to make more money than this and found an opportunity to do stunts on, and I don't know, um, it was a movie called The Day the Women Got Even, and it was, I guess, a TV movie, really, and not many people saw it, but it starred several interesting actresses, including Tina Louise, who played Ginger in Gilligan's Island. Uh huh. Um, oh, Killigan. And she was a bright redhead, pretty bright redhead, and uh, I'm a redhead. And so I got hired to be a photo double for her. And a photo double is a person who stands in the place of the star when the camera operators and the lighting technicians are arranging the lighting and sound and practicing the camera moves. And then the star steps into their place when, when they're ready to go. And um, there was an – go ahead. Is that lucrative, being a photo double? Well, it's about – it's a little bit more pay than an extra uh, and for – on a union job. At that time, it was about $70 a day. Okay. Um, Now it's – actually, I haven't done it in a while, but I think it's $135 a day or so. Uh-huh. Okay. Um and it's, so it can add up plus if you do it enough days you do get uh through Screen Actors Guild and American Federation of Television and Radio Actors SAG AFTRA it's called. You do mm-hmm. get health care if you work enough days at that rate. So it can be really good. Um and so I was also uh, photo doubling an actress that was in the movie Airplane, the funny comedy um, movie Airplane. Oh, uh, her na- yeah. Yeah, her, her name is Julie Haggerty, so her big line was she was the flight attendant who was like, oh, Ted. So um, she was, her character spent the whole, uh, well, well, about three of the five weeks of the shooting in the backseat of a car as a kidnap victim. And the Stunt coordinator is the guy who designs and hires the stunt players, and uh, he was actually playing one of the kidnappers driving the car, and there was an unknown actor who was his sidekick in that movie, and his name was Ed O'Neill. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) Al Bundy and, you know, Modern Family, yeah, so... 
and you can imagine it was a pretty funny time spending three weeks in the back seat of the car with that. We had a great time. <laughs> and uh, but during that time, I sort of picked the brain of the stunt coordinator and harassed him and did ridiculously silly things, like I held a little gymnastics class with the neighborhood children who'd gathered around the set one day, just so I could show that I could, you know, control my body in space. And uh, and it. Um, silly as it was, it actually worked. And at the end of the film, I got hired by uh, that coordinator to hang off the door of a garbage truck in a chase scene with a cop car, a um, ambulance, and the garbage truck. So it was quite a uh, quite an event, and that just sort of led from one thing to the next. <laughs> Wow. wow, that's so. I mean, it's cool because, like I said, you you don't you don't get an opportunity very much to even see the you know the stunt people, let alone to talk to them because you guys and gals are are, are pretty. Uh, what is it under under the radar? You know, yes. so it's cool to hear because we don't get to hear your story, and I yes. know you guys have some really good stories, right? You know, <laughs> oh yes. The good stuff is for the people that are working on the set. You know, they get so anyway. Okay, let me get back to. So now, <laughs> oh my gosh! You by by the way, I was a little girl like you know. I said I was shy, but I grew up and I'm the only girl in the whole family filled with boys. So it was either you play by yourself all the time or you learn to play with the boys and I was like you I don't didn't want to be as good as the boys I wanted to be better so I was very competitive and played all kind of sports and rough house and rode dirt bikes with my dress on and you know all kind of stuff so I could totally relate it was like oh I like the the kindergarten story I like that one I'm like <laughs> yeah now of course I didn't tell my kids that kind of stuff but I'm like yeah you know that's pretty cool so um so anyways back to back to let me get back on target um with regards to all the famous people stunt double for like you did you know the photo the photo stand in for Tina Louise um, can you name some of the famous people that you stunt doubled for uh, as a stunt double um, I'll tell you my most unlikely one was Grace Jones oh 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 yeah really? <laughs> I mean I see I know what you look like and I know what everybody knows what Grace looks like and ooh that's quite opposite <laughs> yes it is quite opposite and uh, uh, that was really exciting I have to say that the uh, apartment I was living in when I when I came home to take the makeup off, there was a brown ring around my tub that I was never able to get out. <laughs> uh, but it was great. It was really great getting to meet her and, and uh, you know, get, getting to double her. It was for one of her videos. Um, and uh, she did, she, I guess she had a gorilla outfit and, um, and she was leaping down a giant set of stairs, and uh, what? I said, I think I've seen that video. As she jumps down the stairs, then she leaps up about 25 feet to the top of a platform, hmm. like a, a bionic leap. Mm -hmm. And so I got to do those big jumps down the stairs, and then to do that bionic leap 25 feet high, you actually stand on the top of the platform and jump backwards while you're looking up. Oh, ooh. <laughs> A very interesting process, and then they reverse the film. <laughs> and so it's, you, you have to look up so you can't see where you're going to land or oh. when you're going to land. And you also have to defy the natural trajectory because the way the trajectory is when you when you jump up is different than when you you know so to speak fall off so so that was exciting um other people i got to double uh, would include Meryl Streep and Cher and Madonna and Kelly McGillis and Daphne Zuniga and she and um, some less known actors. Um, 
Barbara Rhodes and um, Margaret Collin, who was amazing. She was in Independence Day, among uh, other things, wonderful actress. And um, Kelly Curtis, who is Jamie Lee Curtis's older sister. Oh, yeah, and um, yeah, and and uh, uh, other actresses that uh, are that have smaller roles that most of us don't really know their names, but wonderful gals. And then they have a whole uh, category of stunts called nondescript. And that's sort of like the person jumping out of the way of the car, um, uh-huh. you know. And uh, and I was supposed to double Daryl Hannah in Splash, but they were f- worried. I was supposed to do the dive off the pier at the end, uh-huh. and they were worried that my chest was a different size than hers. Oh, were you bigger than her? No, I'm kidding. I would definitely <laughs> say yes. Okay. <laughs> you mean they, they, well, I guess back then with that movie, they probably didn't have the technology they have today because today it would have been no problem to fix that. <laughs> well, right? I told yeah they I told them I mean that's true in part, but it's actually the the it's cheaper for them to find a flat chested. Or, or, or smaller-breasted woman. show. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we can do what we want to do. Okay. So, yeah, it, at the time, they told me that they wanted her to do the dive. Um, I, I said to them, listen, you, you put me in a little short wetsuit underneath that man's long man's shirt that she'll be wearing, and I can be completely flat-chested, trust me. And they yeah. said, well, she can't have the shirt on when she dives into the water and I said look this is Disney you don't need bare breasts for Disney and and they said well the problem is she can't have the shirt on when she's underwater and I said she's not going to have a tail on land so she if her legs can change from legs to a mermaid tail she could lose the men's shirt at the same time (laughs) and they but they were so nervous that they they and and Ron Howard the director was so embarrassed about the situation that they hired oh. me to do a whole bunch of the nondescript things and oh. yeah and then the night before they did the dive uh, the stunt coordinator called me up and said, we think we've made a big mistake. Um, I hired a girl from the NYU dive team, and when I spoke to her, she didn't recognize the name of the dive team's coach. And so I don't know who she is. I don't know w- what she can do. And will you come down and yes. be on the set? And if she doesn't do it well, Will you do it? And they uh-huh. and he said the problem is anyone who goes into the East River of New York needs to have um, hep hepatitis shots and salmonella and all sorts of you know don't get diseases from the horrible water there. Yeah. So if you do it, we'll have to take you straight to the hospital to get all the shots. And she's already had the shots, so. Oh. I, you know, I was like, okay, I'll I'll go and I'll be there, and you know, there I was being paid for it, and uh, hold her hand through it, and she did the dive, and it, it turned out that she was not on the diving team because I was going to do a beautiful swan dive, like I thought, uh-huh. you know, Daryl Hannah is actually a gymnast, so right. uh, yeah, so I thought she would do a beautiful dive, and and she did this flat dive and then we found out she was on the swim team and I was like oh my gosh she did like a a flat racing dive instead of a beautiful arcing swan dive oh oh, wow yeah and I was like oh oh no that's not that's not right um but they didn't say anything they bought it and then they did they they had to take her out into the middle of the river and uh, in a boat, and then drop her off in the middle of the river, and have her sink under the water, and then come up as if she was coming up from the dive, and uh-huh. wave to Tom Hanks with such love that Tom, who was terrified of water, would jump into the water. 
to be with her. And when she came up, because this is the problem, like sometimes people are very good. I mean, it's great. She was a very strong swimmer, obviously, and that was important. But she wasn't scuba certified, and um, there was a problem when she did the dive that the, the scuba dive team tried to tried to get her air, and she had panicked because she'd hit some ropes under the dock, and they had to hit her, actually, to to get her to be able to accept the air regulator in her mouth. And um, and then when she came up with this, uh, to do this wave, she came up with her face looking up with her nose to the sky, and, you know, that incredibly long blonde wig that came well down past her thighs, Mm-hmm. Um, got so heavy, it was pull. It was pulling off of her head, and she oh. had, she had a darker complexion. She had dark hair instead of the light hair, like you know me. She had a very round face instead of you know the longer, more slender face, and um, and and so when if you were to go back and look at it, you would be able now to see what I'm talking about. It's like. Hey. If you look closely, you can see the ring of dark hair as she comes up because the wig yeah, is. Yeah, you know what? Now I'm going to go look. And, I'm going to go look. And, it's going to be. I'm like, oh my god, that's you. Yeah, <laughs> never seen that movie in a long time. So yeah, okay. yeah. And uh, at the end of the day, and I used to ride my motorcycle to the set a lot, so I was uh, everything was wrapped up, and the um, and I saw the hair person came out she took the wig and she threw it in the garbage and I said are you throwing that in the garbage and she said yeah it's it's gross and I said I'll take it is that all right she said yes so I call that wig my booby prize and since I was a clown and comedian and impersonator I you know also during that time I took that wig home because I had like 30 wigs and just cleaned it up and there's in my book Falling for the Stars there's a picture of me as the uh, character She-Ra uh-huh. The god, you know, the power goddess. Then yes. <laughs> um, I used to entertain at parties as She-Ra wearing the, the splash wig. <laughs> oh, how fun! Do you still have it? I do, absolutely oh. do. <laughs> wow, that's so cool! Now, wait, do you, are you living on the East Coast or the West Coast? I actually, uh, some year, several years ago, uh, at, moved from the West Coast. To Texas, the third coast. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I decided to because my big focus now is teaching, uh, teaching the acting, and teaching this very healthy way to uh, deal with anxiety, performance anxiety, and using acting techniques to achieve better health. And I'm still acting. I have a one-woman show, and uh, I still do some film work and things like that. There's quite a bit of film industry that's moved out into the regions mm-hmm. rather than just uh, centered in New York and L.A. So I was in New York for 12 years and L.A. for 18. Um, and, I, you know, it was great. I, I, I made a wonderful living doing what I uh, loved, and, uh, and I decided that uh, really I could keep up my acting, but I could do, I could reach more people from the center of the country. Yeah, I mean, I, I also just recently um, relocated to Texas from oh. Northern California, Bay Area girl, born and raised and all that good stuff. Um, so I would say, yeah, Texas is the, like the third coast, and there is a lot of opportunity and things in Texas. Um, just a lot more opportunity in New York and Los Angeles, of course. But yeah, um, it's just different. It's like uncharted territory. Where are you in Texas? I'm in San Antonio. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. 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 So... Uh, um, yeah. Where are you? I'm in Fort Worth, but actually at the moment I'm in San Rafael. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Okay, I'm sorry. We're all off track. Sorry, listeners. Let me get back on track. Um, we're all, here we go. And, you know, hey, we're just that, that those kind of girls. What can I say? <laughs> now, I want to ask you because in every profession, you know, I've been, I'm a registered nurse. I'm a holistic nurse practitioner. I'm a a business owner, um, but in every profession, 
that I've ever done, basically, um, there's always seemed to be a little bit of, I don't want to say the big D word, discrimination, but there is. I mean, you know, women, women, you know, nurse practitioners may not necessarily make the same as male nurse practitioners. Um, you know, an insurance saleswoman may not make the same as an insurance salesman. Executives, women, presidents have different salaries than men presidents and so on. And it, it's just the way it's always been. So I don't want to say it's discrimination, but I do definitely think need, things need to change. Is that something that you experienced in your career as a stunt woman? Absolutely. Uh, on two levels. On the economic level, uh, very frequently the stunt woman doesn't get paid as much as the stunt man. Um, there's two two reasons. I mean, if you looked at the overall earnings of a stunt woman versus a stunt man, first of all, in the entire film industry, we've we've finally gotten it uh, so that there are three female roles to every seven men roles, as opposed to two female roles for every eight male roles. Um, but you see, in the casting, in the storytelling act itself, it's very skewed. Uh, women are highly underrepresented. And therefore, the number of opportunities for the stunt woman are, you know, equivalent to that. Plus, the women don't generally go through as many stunts. So if you have, you know, the Jason Bourne thing, your stunt men are going to be, the the males are the ones who are mostly going to be doing the heavy-duty stunts. And, you know, there will be a stunt double for the female that's involved, but there's not a lot of, what I was saying, the nondescript, meaning, you know, the the team of uh, fighters <laughs> is right. going to be heavily male-dominated with maybe one, maybe sometimes now there's a nasty female boss, but she doesn't do a lot of stunts. Right, right. Right, her hench people do. And so the female characters themselves are called upon to do fewer stunts, and there are, you know, so many fewer female characters to begin with. So so there's just less employment opportunity. And then the other, another factor is that one way that the stunt industry works is because the coordinator is the person who hires the people. They are the ones solely who determine the qualifications. And if you have the same qualifications as another woman, but she is the girlfriend or wife or daughter of a stuntman, she's going to get the job because it's likely that her father, boyfriend, brother will be in a position to hire that stunt coordinator back. So people try to hire their friends. And this is, you know, it's not unusual. We know our friends. We like our friends. We want to help our friends, and we trust them. And the industry is all about trust. So uh, we tend to get to know those people better, and we know who they are and what they can do. And so it really much much of uh, the sort of word of mouth and entrepreneurial engagements employ people that you know really well because you trust them. So that part's logical, but it does mean that it's if you're not attached to a stunt man in some way, uh, that way, it's doubly hard for a girl to get into the industry. And then there's... So now you you were... Your, you and your husband was your, your husband was followed you into the stunt career as well, right? Yes, I'm proud to say he slept with a stunt woman to get into the industry. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of how you were just talking about it, kind of being the other way around, he yep. actually did it opposite. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I I will admit, and he and I sort of conspiratorially agreed that I would flirt with the stunt guys to get my, you know, career going. Of course, we were very confident in our our marriage. We had an amazing relationship, and... um, and so, you know, he was like, yeah, go for it. You know, we know who we're coming home with. 
<clears throat> and that was, you know, that like when, when he and I went to a party, we went our separate ways. We flirted our little butts off and we went home together and we had a blast with it. Um, and so he was like, just go for it, girl. But there was a time when I got cornered in an elevator where I kind of had to uh, make it clear that 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 was not going to happen and that that guy never hired me again oh yeah yeah i you know what i think that kind of goes um i think that's just with the territory Mm -hmm. whether it's what you did or or do or you know or what someone else does i'm trying to think of another instance, you know, like models, if a photographer, you piss a photographer off, you, you know, Mm -hmm. don't do what, say, they may have inklings that they would like for you to do, well, then if they're, you know, really highfalutin, guess what? You're not going to work for X, Y, and Z anymore. You know, they may even say nasty things about network. So I, I get it. I mean, you know, it's just the way it is, but yeah, it's not fair. It's not fair. Now, with regards to this aspect of being a star, because I think you, I think you guys are kick ass. So, you know, with this aspect of being a star, um, did you pay a little bit in your strife down your path to bliss? Um, did you pay or suffer like psychologically or emotionally or, you know? physically with injuries um, while you were doing this, participating? Well, I did. Um, I, while I was working in the industry, I was also learning this particular acting technique, and the acting technique was so empowering and centering and healing for me. And uh, so I was kind of going off in these two different directions. I was getting sort of more egotistical and more materialistic uh, with the income that I was generating between the um, comedy world that I was in and the stunt world rising to the top of both of those while finding like my soul and finding my spirit, which was saying, you're getting trapped, you're getting trapped, don't buy into that illusion, it's an illusion, you need to be more truthful with yourself and you need to stop doing stunts, you need to stop putting your life on the line for other people, you're an actress, you're a teacher, you're a director, and this is what you need to be doing. But I was so caught up in the whole ego thing and the money. I mean, I I had like, between my husband and I, we had over a hundred pairs of cowboy boots. Oh, high-end cowboy boots. So if we felt like um, a new pair of boots, we'd hop on our two motorcycles and we'd drive to El Paso from New York or L.A. to buy new boots. I mean, seriously. And it was ridiculous. I had the most incredible leather jumpsuits, leather hot pants, uh, I mean, ridiculous things. And and it, and we ate out, you know, nine meals a week, and mm. uh, you know it was silly, and had five motorcycles, and yeah, I mean it, it was it was silly. So, um, the the messages kept coming, the universe, the you know spirit kept speaking and saying, get out, get out, stop it, and then three different stuntmen that I worked with over a four month period were killed doing stunts. Oh. And I knew I was supposed to get out, but I was I was like, you know, at at the top finally after so many right. years. And and right. yeah, and I just I couldn't quit and so I quit. My husband kept begging me to quit and he by this time was having a very successful acting career in LA and um and so I stopped for six months, and I was bi-coastal at that point, flying back and forth between New York and L.A., and decided I wasn't going to go back to the East Coast anymore to do stunts, and so I flew back to hire the movers to give up my apartment in New York, and the night before I left, my stunt friends called and said, oh, Lisa, you're the best, and we need you, and we've got this little rappelling down a cliff job, and no one else can do it, and blah, 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 and $431 is what you'll be paid for the day, and I did that, and it I, the rope slipped off the rocks, and I crashed into the cliff, and 
Ooh. right there. I was dangling around, spinning back and forth between two sides of the cliff, crashing my head and my spine and everything and saying to myself, this is going to be the most important spiritual gift you will ever give yourself. Yeah. And um, I wound up with a 46% permanent loss of use of my back with chronic oh. pain and inability to sit through a meal or a movie or walk to a mall in a mall. Um, you know, if I went to Costco or something like that, we had to take one of those big trolleys because I had to be able to lie down on it. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, you know, what I learned, because the medical community wasn't, uh, they recommended to avoid surgery because it couldn't guarantee a resolution for the problems and would be very, very dangerous. And they said, you know, do it. Just delay it as long as you possibly can. And so I, I turned to all sorts of alternative approaches. I had to deal with the stress of being, you know, Superman uh, to an invalid. And, um, I mean, there were times when I was in bed for a month. I couldn't move. You know, I had to be carried to to the bathroom or whatever. I, I couldn't move. And so... It was quite an ego adjustment. I sort of had to be reborn into a new who am I. Mm -hmm. And what I learned about the quantum physics, science, the metaphysics, uh, energy management, all led me to being able to teach the acting technique better. So I wound up teaching in Russia and Paris and in Moscow, Petersburg, Berlin, Brussels, London, and... um, introducing this healthy approach to the world um and let's i made talk a doctor about that. yeah let's mm-hmm. i want you to talk about that let's talk about talk about your healthy approach with regards to the acting technique you teach and how you utilize it to just you know help make the world a better place yeah um First of all, the it's the only acting technique out there that actually it's based on a guy named Michael Chekhov. So he's the ne- nephew of the um, famous Russian writer Anton Chekhov, and Michael was is considered the greatest actor Russia ever produced. And he wound up coaching Marilyn Monroe and Gary Cooper and Anthony Quinn and Clint Eastwood and. Uh, Jack Nicholson, and many, many actors in the 40s and 50s in Hollywood. But he got there because he became a superstar and was a superstar in Russia when the Soviet government took over in 1917. And by 1928, he had freaked out the Soviet government so much by his um, ability to train actors to be... um, just almost trance healers for the audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, he, in 1924, he had uh, done a production of Hamlet, and he didn't have an actor play the ghost of Hamlet's father. And even though no actor was on stage as the ghost, night after night, people saw the ghost. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they would give him like four-hour standing ovations. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he was a superstar. And so they got very upset. They told him he couldn't, you know, teach people the the, the power to, you know, make people see things and feel things, uh, you know, in ecstatic states. And um, so they were going to put him to death. And he escaped. Oh. And, you know, after a series of events, he, he was, uh, his mother was Jewish, so he was considered Jewish, and he escaped to Berlin, and that got very dangerous in the mm. 30s. So he had to escape from there and went to um, Soviet satellite in Latvia, Lithuania, and they had a socialist coup, and because he was from a communist country, he had to get out of there. <laughs> and, you know, he just went through this crazy thing, and I, I made a documentary on it. It's called from Russia to Hollywood, and Gregory Peck narrates it, and that's available on lisadalton.com. It's an okay. extraordinary story. Um, and and ultimately, when he came to New York and set up a studio in New York, and they opened a, a very successful uh, play on Broadway two days before Pearl Harbor, and everything was shut down. Oh, <laughs> All the men were drafted. 
So he wound up going to Hollywood, and there he had an Oscar nomination for a film with Ingrid Bergman, one of his students, and Gregory Peck, a Hitchcock movie called Spellbound. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a great old movie and he's her her um, you know, accented little professor. Yeah, uh, in the last part I of the love movie. That movie. That's a good movie. That's another I want. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So his so his thing is his his big thing is he says love is the most powerful force and every human being who wants to perform does so because they love because they have a love for it and they love the characters they love giving the gift of themselves to the audiences they love the work they love the effort they love the play and the story and they they love sharing this and he says that uh we should create uh performing arts that uplift educate and enhance humanity which is the original you know, way the reason why acting is carved into the walls of the caves. You know, right. it's it, it's uh, the oldest professions, and it will not go away. No matter how much digitalization we have, um, right. they're still you know they're still using actors. So so that's um, that's an extraordinary thing that he really uses love as an action verb. Um, mm. And and that it's a, a sequence of doings, and a, and an approach and an attitude, and um, he, and to give you an example, someone who follows his work um, would be Anthony Hopkins. And when we look at a character like Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs, right. it's one it's one of the most evil characters ever created, oh. right? Yeah. And yeah. yet we love Hannibal Lecter. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And we do that because the actor loves him. And and because of that, you know, the way I interpret what Mr. Chekhov was saying is if we as actors, through the forces of love, can render evil characters, and all stories will be the battle of good and evil, mm-hmm. um, if we can create the expression of evil through the forces of love, it's a little like we pluck evil out of the cosmos and transform it so it doesn't need to be expressed in reality when we do it through art. Yes, I believe that. I mean, I I, I truly um, believe art is a wonderful way to express just about everything. And and when you think of art, um, whether it's drawing or painting or dancing or writing lyrics or poetry or acting or, you know, um, there's so many beautiful gifts and so many people over the time have utilized art as a way of of expressing their life um, and getting what's inside of them out. And so I, I just I just think it's beautiful. And when I see talented people doing talented things, you know, artful things, it's just amazing. You know, it's just amazing. So let me ask you, with regards, because we both talked about that we were both these shy but very, I would say, aggressive little girls. Um, yes. <laughs> very shy. Wouldn't talk to anybody, but boy, I'd kick butt on whatever I needed on that jungle gym, right? Um, yeah. Um, you know, with regards to that, how would someone take the concept of beautiful love? I mean, to me, to apply it to acting, I'm not an actor or, or have any of that kind of talent whatsoever, but dancing or whatever that seems I know people who do that and they love to do that. And when they perform or do whatever it is, you can see the love in their work. But mm-hmm. for someone, I'm going to say that just likes to maybe want to want to public speak. They have a message inside them that they want to share, but they're shy or they get anxious about taking the step forward or whatever. What would you say to them? Well, yeah. Uh, he has this idea. Uh, so one of the things that happens when when we go to do those things and we get nervous and scared about it, we we feel shy, we feel reluctant, and we get jittery inside, and yeah. and we start yelling at ourselves to relax, right? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And and then we get mad at ourselves because the more we say, relax, relax, or we... The more you we, don't. <laughs> right. The more you don't. And so he says... Um, relax is a non-doable command, meaning it's a reaction. So if you ask someone to relax, and your listeners could relax right now, if you were to get in the most relaxed position, you would move. You would actually move your body easily, ultimately down to the floor probably, and flop down easily. And that's a series of movements. So he says instead of telling yourself to relax, which you can't actually actively do, tell yourself to move with ease, to move easily and breathe easily, what he calls with a feeling of ease. And if you take one hand and let it like shake, like it's freaking out and that's your nervous energy, that's adrenaline making it pump, and you take the other hand and put all your attention on it as it moves easily through the air, Mm -hmm. pretty soon that other hand that's trying to freak out will stop and it will start to move easily as well. And that feeling of ease um, then allows the adrenaline to refocus itself onto providing you peak performance energy because we get adrenaline when we're frightened and when we're excited. And the adrenaline is adrenaline. So the brain is the only part that's calling it fear versus excitement. So if you say, I'm excited instead of I'm scared, now you're beginning to channel that energy into the ability to lift cars off babies. And what we're doing when we look at that is we're using what he also calls the feeling of beauty. So we're looking at the beauty of adrenaline instead of an enemy. We're looking at it as a divine gift provided to exceed our natural limitations. So we apply the feeling of beauty. Whenever you're nervous or scared or frustrated, pause, smell a a flower, look at a beautiful bird, Take a moment to stare at a pencil and find out what's cool about it. You can look at your fingernail and figure out how wonderful a fingernail is. You can look at anything and see it as a beautiful element. And when you behold beauty, which is abounding everywhere, your ease factor will increase instantly. And you will feel more whole and complete. So that's the other thing, the the third of four steps I'm taking you through here, the sense of entirety or wholeness. We often feel incomplete. For example, when we get scared, we don't feel we are enough. We're afraid we will be judged. We are afraid we will fail and that we don't have everything it takes. So we're feeling incomplete. And, of course, we are the only one who can complete us. And we have the ability to believe in our hearts that we are all we need to be in this moment. And so if we apply a feeling of beauty to who we are at this moment instead of, you know, and this is practiced every day. Every reflective surface you look in, every mirror, every glass, the first thing most of us do is fix ourselves. And instead of fixing ourselves, just look at yourself and say, I am beautiful. Say, hi, 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 how are you? You know, and really look at yourself and accept yourself as a whole, perfect being, a whole, beautiful, perfect being right there. And what you're looking at, this is the fourth element, what we've been judging negatively is our form. And so this the form, it's the shape of us, whether it's the emotional shape or the physical shape, um, the spiritual shape, the mental shape, uh, whether it's the, our time and space. Are we, you know, on time? Are we late? Are we too fat today? Are we not pretty enough today? Are we not strong enough? Are we not being respected properly? They're all problems with form. And so if we start to see the beauty of the form that is present rather than wishing the form, the situation, the condition were different. We are now able to be at ease and reduce our anxiety and reduce our stress. So so summarizing that, we have find the beauty. It induces the ease. It increases the feeling of entirety of your form. So the those letters, beauty, ease, entirety, and form – 
They're called the Four Brothers, and if you just use the first four letters of that, it spells beef. So if you're stressed out, all you need to do is remember, remember to ask yourself, where's the beef? Where's my beef? Where's the beef? I love it. Wow, that's beautiful. I, I wow, beauty is entirety, entirety, mm-hmm. entirety form in the form. In the wow, form. I love that. Oh my goodness, you guys now of Lisa Loving Dalton, a phenomenal guest, but she just laid some nuggets of gold on you that I can guarantee you people go to a therapist to pay thousands of dollars to get to that conclusion. So hopefully you took my advice and you took some notes. And now you have something to refer to because now I know there are times during the day where I'm going to be asking myself, where's the bees? Because <laughs> some days are, you know, not as pretty as I would like them to be, although I always feel wonderful. It's just, you know, sometimes, as I say, we travel down our path to bliss, not always paved in gold. You know, right now it's raining up a storm here. Wow. And it has been since Friday. Wow. So, Although I love the rain, it's beautiful. But still, you know, if you're out and about in it, about it, I don't. Um, then it can be a little challenging, and, and sometimes you need to know where the beef is to get through those challenging moments. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, so now, tell us, why did you write the book? I, I, I mean, you know, all of this is all we've come a long ways, and and I'm gonna go towards wrapping it up. But you know, you have. I love the book. And I, I mean, I love just falling for the stars, and I love the stories you shared, and you know your truthfulness and your honesty with regards to, you know, the lifestyle of a stunt woman. So tell us why you wrote this book. Well, it's interesting because two years ago I finally had the back surgery, and it was the first time. So it took about a year to recover, and then I could actually sit at a computer. And right. And over the years, I have had wonderful opportunities, for example, to play in celebrity golf tournaments, to do a lot of charity work uh, and things like that and and share stories and entertain people as the stunt gal. And Mm -hmm. um, and and. uh, People were always saying, you should write this book, you should write this book. And um, a couple years before I had my surgery, the title, Falling for the Stars, came to me. And But I couldn't sit long enough to write it. And um, in March, I took a one-weekend workshop where... Uh, the it was called you know write your book in a weekend and mm-hmm. uh with a guy named Tom Bird it was extraordinary tom puts forth the idea that the story your books exist already and this is the same thing mr chekhov talks about it's kind of like in my language i say we all have our own icloud of information and images yeah. and stories and all you do is just in this case you write fast enough for all your stories to pour through you and um, so I didn't know what I was going to write. I knew I knew I, was, I eventually was going to write this book, but I started writing what it what turns out to be my next book called Murder of Talent: How Pop Culture Is Killing It. And <laughs> and uh, and I, it's just this sort of diatribe about things of the way I was treated in the acting business okay. and in acting training and uh, how I was, you know, told by many people I, I would never make it and how I wasn't a very good actor and um, that just from the social point of view. And, and you know, Prince had had died and Vanity died and I was in The Last Dragon uh, oh, yeah. at, at, with Vanity and and uh, it's really my favorite film, and um, and I just was so sad about how people were treated and and how our icons go go awry, and in part how the culture causes it, and how our families cause it, and our teachers cause it, and so that came pouring out of me so fast that by Saturday of the weekend I was done with it, and I was oh, told. Wow. 
start my second book. So, so falling for the stars started pouring out, and then, um, and it, so in one weekend I wrote Murder of Talent and about two thirds of this book, and then I, you know, over the next month or so I, I finished it, and this book kept saying, "I want to come out first. <laughs> <laughs> And I be a girl. Yeah, yeah, I I want to come out first. I'm like, okay, you get to come out first, and um, and it really um, the book want you know I'm talking about the book as its own entity. It really wanted to inspire people to overcome their fears, to go forward, and and you know coming in this new year um, that we each can go forward facing what we thought was a fear and find the beauty in it, find the message in it, find the lesson. I hope that people don't need to crash into a cliff and, uh, you know, cripple themselves like I did. I hope you're not as hard-headed as I am or can be, (laughs) that you listen, that you deal with little pebbles along your path as signs, as guideposts, instead of having to to really... um, you know, take the school of hard knocks. It's actually possible to to grow and learn through gentle lessons. And this is this is what I wanted the world to know. <laughs> oh, wow. Beautiful. Wow. Thank you, Lisa Loving Dalton, for being a guest on Blissful Living. Now, tell the listeners out there how they may get, you know, in con- connection with you. I mean, I have your information, of course, but why don't you share with um, the listeners some ways that they can connect with you, particularly getting that that book, but also just connecting with you? Yes. Um, the book, Falling for the Stars, A Stunt Gal's Tattletales, it's available through my website, which is lisadalton.com, D-A-L-T-O-N.com, and at Amazon. It's a, it was an Amazon number one bestseller, so I'm excited about that. And uh, thank you. Um, also on the site is information. I mean, there there are pictures. There's videos uh, on YouTube, Lisa Dalton's channel, and you can see my acting reel, and you can see um, lots. Of, there's about 40 pictures in the book, and there's a crossword puzzle in the book because my mom loves crossword puzzles, and I was afraid <laughs> she wouldn't read my book. She's 93. Um, <laughs> So I made a crossword puzzle, and my my dad, who passed away, um, he was an English major, so I made a dictionary of film industry terms, which is actually very biased. (laughs) So it explains what things are in the industry and my attitude about that. And um, so it's really fun. And uh, so those... Those the crossword puzzle and the dictionary can be downloaded uh, when you sign up for the site. And there's a, an MP3 file that talks about using these acting techniques for your personal health and development, um, which all comes free. And there's free chapters available. There's information about my acting training programs, which are um Available actually for anyone. You don't have to be an actor. We have musicians. We have life coaches. We have doctors. We have, um, you know, all sorts of people who come and take it because it's so healing. Mm -hmm. And um, we've just finished uh, one in uh, Florida at the University of Florida, and we've got one in June coming up at the University, New Mexico State University in Las Cruces. And oh. these these are week long intensive programs. So, and I'm available to come uh, travel, speak, perform my solo show, uh, lead workshops, or do keynote uh, discussions. And so all of that is in the uh, widgets on the right side of the, you know, my upcoming activities. So, uh, LisaDalton.com is the place to hook up with social media, and I love to hear from people. So. Okay, yay. So there you have it, everyone. Lovely Lisa, loving Dalton. You can connect with her at lisadalton.com. Check out everything that she has to offer. Please go to her site and pick up the book. Um, Just everything that she shared was so intriguing. Not only, you know, I think I love hearing stories about the industry, um, and all of that, but um, I love hearing people's experiences 
and how they experienced things and what led them to the past, you know, their path and, and all that good stuff. And, and so it's beautiful because we all have our journey and we all have a gift. And, you know, some people find theirs and some people don't, but it's, it, it's, that's not the important part. It's the part about how you embrace and enjoy the journey, the pebbles as well as the shit you may step in. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, you got to embrace and love it all. But sometimes it's very hard to love that shit. But, you know, <laughs> so, I'm, you know so, so thank you, Lisa. Um, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for, again, being such a wonderful guest on Blissful Living. And to all of you out there listening, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. I know you like it's a goal from Lisa. Connect with her again at lisadalton.com. And until next time, I'm always wishing you peace to your mind, wellness to your body, and tranquility to your spirit. Take good care. This is the Queen of Feeling Fabulous, Rochelle Marie Lawson, saying bye-bye for now. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, or at healthhealingwellness.com. Or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And, of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.